Jim, the broken down hillbilly. And I'm Fred, the non-broken down hillbilly. Give me 10 years, then I'll talk about being broken down. Yeah. And I'm Jazzy. So Jim, uh, wh where, where do you live? Where are you located? What's well, I'm just north of Bonners Ferry, America. Um, I'm about 700 kilometers from Vancouver, oh, yeah. uh, the interior of British Columbia, 50 kilometers from the border of to America. So we're guarding the border there. We're building a wall right now for free. We're paying for it. And I live on a big lake, 90 mile long lake, Kootenai Lake, and I'm on the east side. We take a ferry to the west side to get to Nelson, BC which was the movie that Steve Martin was in. Uh, he was in a movie there and made us semi-popular. I can't remember the that name was, of uh, it. Roxanne was Darren. Roxanne movie. So if you get a chance, cute town, sort of old mining town that's got cutified. And now um, people are moving there because it's cute. And I live on the other side of the lake in the bush. Um, do you want me to explain how I got started? Or, sure. or sure. go for it. Okay, many years ago when I came back from traveling uh, in Europe and Afghanistan for a winter, I decided I want a home. I wanted a home paid paid for. So I came home to ask my father if he'd help me. So I came out actually to the Kootenays to look. Uh, for houseboats, and then I met our neighborhood, moved here, and he said, "Jim, move here, move here, move here." He's an old guy, worn out by the, the being accountant, and he loved it here. So I went back and told my dad. He came out in the spring. We stayed with his old guy, and he said, "Go to Ryandale. It's for sale. Mining town. It's for sale. Everybody's left." So we get there, and my dad, who has a lot of experience in housing, building, and buying and selling, I let him go, and he found three teachers, which is a place they put teachers like Fred and I, who moved out to the country and didn't have a place to stay, and so they throw them in these places, and they had everything you needed in them, and so they were selling them, three of them. So my dad saw one of them and then he bid on all three and he bid $5,000 each one and got two of them. Didn't get the third one. And, and so I, that was $10,000 I, I owed him. So I fixed one, the best one up and sold it. And I had a shack then. I had a shack paid for, which was the highlight of my life financially. How old were you, Jim? I was about 23, 22, 23. And I was blown away at how cheap it was to live when you don't pay rent or mortgage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was blown away. And so then I went on to clean that house up and I dug a basement out with a wheelbarrow and shovel and fixed the basement, build, build, met my wife on and on. 
but that's the that's the, the one thing that I has kept me going. And so I was paid for as I moved through and bought other places, I could be paid for, which means you 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 only have to earn half a salary that that you do when you have a mortgage. Half. Yeah, and you're not paying for it like three or four times extra. You're not paying that, uh, you know, no. thousand bucks a month or whatever it is to rent or mortgage, right? And so I've lived very cheaply. We've lived very, very cheaply here and wonderfully, really. And so, and it's two different worlds, but hardly anybody can do that because you, you need to get started with a shaft, a cheap shaft. So that's kind of... I'm sort of the alternate to the mortgage thing. I'm wow, excellent. And what year was that? What around what time? Oh, uh, seventy-three. Okay, seventy-three. Yeah, yeah. And we managed to move along, and it just—it's a—it's a better way to go. It's harder at the first to get the money to do it, uh, and you need to start low. You need to start with something that's kind of banged up, but the difference is incredible, you know, now. Um, now we're paid for and still, and but we're broke, eh? <laughs> we don't have enough money still, so that, that, that seems to go around with it, no matter what you do, right? So that's my start. But you have lots of food. Lots of food, lots of lots of potatoes and corn and onions and tomatoes and kale and artichokes, asparagus. Yeah, no, pretty good. Pretty lucky in the food department. But also I had time to do food, right? You need time to, to, to yeah. do these things, right? And when you're working too hard, you don't have time for anything, really. That's the one thing that I've learned here. I've been able to have do other things, play a lot of music. I only worked half time as a music teacher, so it gave me, you know, extra time. And playing music's not really a job, eh? <laughs> it's touching, touching the gods, I call it. <laughs> but yeah, so. Am I off track yet? <laughs> Very good. No, not at all. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, you want to go next, Fred? Sure, sure. Um, I was a renter, Jim. Yeah. I started like most every uh, silly American begins. And that is, you know, sharing a room, an apartment, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know. So I, I started way more conventionally than Jim did. And often lived in the ghetto, whether that ghetto was in Cleveland, because I too didn't want to pay too much, right? Because I didn't earn too much. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to pay too much. So I often, well, not often, always lived in the ghetto whether it was Cleveland's, one of Cleveland's ghettos or Chicago's ghettos. And 
my my wife or partner at the time and I had to move again. We were going to move in together to a better place because I was living in a gangster's headquarters in in Chicago. They ran the apartment building. Um, so I said, well, I need to find another one. And I moved to an equally dangerous neighborhood, like just a 10 minute walk away. But it wasn't run by a gangster. It was run by a, a, a shady Iowan who liked to buy up ghetto properties and rent them to poor people like me. Um, so we move in. It was very exciting because it had two floors. We never had an apartment with two floors, but it was like a ghetto two-floor apartment. And the guy ran into some trouble right away. We won't get into his troubles, but because of his troubles, he approached my partner at the time and I and said, you want to buy it? I was like, what? An apartment building? <laughs> okay, well, how does that work? I didn't know anything about buying a building, renting, nothing. But the opportunity sort of fell on me or fell into me or fell near me. And so I began investigating how could a guy, and I was working at a Catholic high school in Chicago in a, in a, in a poor neighborhood, in the same neighborhood I was living in, actually. And I, I think my salary at that time was like $20,000. And this is 1994, 95, 94, and I was only making $20,000, right? And so how does a guy making $20,000 afford a three-flat A-frame and a coach house, a Chicago coach house? My gosh, a dream for a city dweller, right? And so luckily at the Catholic school was a sort of the typical, not typical, yeah, she was typical. Um, my wife, my husband works at a bank and he's super rich. And because I'm a good person, I'm a super rich housewife who's going to do the Lord's work and work in a Catholic high school for $20,000, right? So to her credit, she said, I'm going to hook you up with my husband. He'll, he'll get this through for you. And he was a high flying guy at a bank. And he told some underling, make sure this guy gets his loan. <laughs> And I spoke, and then so they set up this thing. They used what was called neighborhood housing, which was a uh, a, a, a not-for-profit that was geared toward helping first-time home buyers who were poor get started in this game, mortgage game, right? So they worked that deal. So I was really working with two organizations: the not-for-profit for the down payment. And the major the loan then would be handled by the by the bank. So I spoke to the bank every day. I mean, I would get on break from one of you know my break from teaching, go to the teacher's lounge and call the bank. I won't tell you their name. They're out of they were bought by somebody else. They're long gone. And I would call and say, Hello, it's Fred. What do I need to do today to make sure this thing happens? And it became fun. They liked my good nature and whatever it was they liked. So they were the, the people on the, on the ground were very, uh, very cool, very cool. And they were, you know, but also their boss said, make this happen. So they dealt with me calling every day. And so it finally got through after several months of like, how do we help a guy who makes $20,000 buy a property that was 191,000, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't work. Jaswat knows <laughs> the, the, the debt to income is not going to work, right? And I didn't have a down payment. So I had to ask my grandmother, 
who's very, you know, God rest her soul, was is very West Virginia e meaning they have money, but you know, we'll help a little bit. So my grandmother gave me two one thousand dollars. <laughs> it was great. And my mother and I cashed in a life insurance policy for two thousand dollars. So I had three thousand dollars. That was all I had to for a down payment. Well, that doesn't work, right? So in any case, so the not-for-profit gave me the other 17% of the down payment or 18%. And then the bank would cover the 20, the 80%, right? So me, three or two and the bank, 80 and the not-for-profit, the rest, 18, 17% of the down payment. Um, so there was a, a very difficult moment uh, because I was waiting for the not-for-profits board to review our case, right? <laughs> so the day that the board did, I think they met once or twice a month to go over these pr proposed, you know, poor people like myself trying to buy a house. And I, I, I got a no. They told me no. After all of this, the not-for-profit said no. You know why? Because you were making but, money off the apartment. Well, no, that was good. That allowed me to actually afford the house, the building, because I could use income, the rental income as part of my debt to income ratio. You were using condoms? <laughs> no, I worked at a Catholic school. Come on. That's what I mean. Maybe they found out, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. I was white. Oh. I the was curse. white. I was white and this program was not supposed to help poor white people because they're, you know, so few in the city, right? Wow. You know, immigrants, yes. So Polish, whatever, whatever, Ukrainian, so on and so forth in a huge place like Chicago, but a pure white guy, no. So they yeah. turned me down and I pleaded with this African-American woman on the phone. I said, but my Mex my wife is Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was my partner at the time. Later, we were married. And so they reviewed me again, and I pleaded with the woman on the phone. And one of the concerns they had is that I was scamming the system, that I would fix it up and flip it. I said, no, I'm going to be buried here in the backyard between the A-frame, uh, the wooden A-frame and the coach house and the brick in the back in the middle. I'm going to put a garden, but then later when I die, you can bury me there. That's how serious I am about not being one of those people. And they approved me the next meeting. So uh, I got, I got the, and they gave me a loan because the place was a mess. And they gave me a $50,000 construction loan and introduced me to contractors that would fix the decks and the porches and the roof and, you know, all the things that needed to be done. And I was off in the world of landlordness. I had three apartments to rent. Well, two. Later, I refied, as you do over and over again, to pull equity out to put it back into the place. So I pulled money out a couple of years later and put it into the, the basement, which was burned out. It was on fire in the 70s or 60s, and they never did anything, just left it fire damaged. So I, hired, I fixed that for a garden apartment. There's stories about that, but we don't need to hear about all the, you know, so I would refi, 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 pull money out, refi, pull money out. And always the money would go back into the apartment building and fixing it up and repairing things and putting it proper. 
And so I can also say, sorry, this is a bit of a, a, a bragging moment. I was a landlord for 22 years. Watched the, the whole world gentrify around me, right? Mm. And I never had a vacancy in 22 years. I always had an apartment filled, always, always. So it became, they sent me to school too. I had to go to landlord school in order to get the loan, which was super good. I learned all sorts of very important things like, well, this is something the Iowan told me. He, he said, always look for gardeners. Put in your ad that you have a place for gardeners to put, grow plants and flowers because mm -hmm. gardening people are good tenants. So I learned wow, that. Oh, good going. So, and also the other, the other, the, the school part of it was also super helpful for somebody like me who had no, I had no idea how you run that kind of a business, how you run a landlord, mom and pop landlord business. But it, it was helpful for me because I had been a renter for so many years that I understood certain wishes that a, you know, middle class or a lower middle class person like myself would want in a place when they when they moved in. The other thing we were told to is to bake cookies in the oven of the place you were renting and leave them out on the table because when you have an open house, I preferred open houses, right? Because then you get competition, right? And the cookies wow. were free and it makes the apartment smell like chocolate chip cookies, which is a very, you know, it's the, it's a right, it's the scent you want when you're renting an apartment, you know, to try and to, you know, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't show it at certain times because the gangsters were all over the place, right? We lived in front of a park, a, a, a public pool. And so I could, I would only show it after seven when the pool closed because the gangsters would sell drugs to the people who were coming to the pool and it would just be a mass of like gangsters and, and, you know, people who have children or want to swim, but, you know, but maybe might want to buy some drugs too. Um, so it was always scary for the white folks, you know, or anybody who was, you know, was super, super scary, super scary. So we could only show the apartment like eight o'clock at night after all the gangsters went home after their hard day of work and selling drugs to the people in the pool. And where are you now? Are you, are you still in Chicago? Oh, gosh, no. Uh, in in a few weeks, it'll be our three-year anniversary of living here on top of a mountain in the Gredos Mountains of Spain. Uh, oh. So I'm in Spain in an old hand-built stone and oak house uh, in a village of 12 people, uh, which, uh, you know, 10 other people, Elaine and I and 10 other people. Wow. So I sold that building and moved here. <laughs> that's another story yeah. so I counted on gentrification the whole game was based on the idea of buying in a ghetto that was my plan and, it, and I would always say to my family this is my retirement because I didn't have a retirement because I was working for Catholic school with very little pay and mm -hmm. you know didn't plan in that normal way of putting money aside I didn't have any right Yeah. so my idea was that the building because I was I had a hunch, strong hunch that the neighborhood, while being full of gangsters and poverty and crime, and I saw people shot and killed, you know, and blood, and I, I've seen that stuff. I went to bed with gunfire every night. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I was confident that the neighborhood over 20 years or 30 years would flip and here, you know, and here comes the white people. And it did because it was too strategic. It was in the way of downtown or the loop in Chicago. We were like the, one of the very first ghettos Northwest of the loop and people who you could talk to that might know a little bit about city planning. were like, this is an, this is problem. This ghetto, this, this super poor neighborhood is a problem for the city expansion. So you can count that the city, while maybe not doing anything super direct, will indirectly funnel people there because in the city planning mindset, this is in the way. It has to go. So this is where Cabrini Green was and many other sort of neighbor, you know, sort of legendary city pro, you know, housing projects where they just jam poor people into high rises and expect everything's going to be okay. I mean, I could walk to Caprini Green easily. Mm-hmm. So that had to come down and then they just, you know, to Cabrini Green is now a target, just so you know. Um, so they, so there was this idea that it would move out and there were tons of artists in this neighborhood. That was the other clue for me was like mm-hmm. artists, no good architecture and mm-hmm. tend to gravitate toward low, low income housing in, in, in aesthetically pleasing neighborhoods. So it's like a ghetto, but it wasn't used to be a ghetto. It used to be something high end but it just fell down over the decades and people moved away and moved to the suburbs and left the city sort of gutted and so i often followed the artists like i paid attention to where the artists live because i wanted to live near them anyway and so that was another way of understanding that that would also help turn the neighborhood because the first tide of gentrifiers is usually artists looking for for cheap rent Mm. and they're not they're not upset by the gangsters Right. They consider it part of it, like the, the ambiance of living in the edge, you know, is like, oh, yeah, I got to walk through the gangsters to go drink at the bar, you know. <laughs> so very good. That's my story. And now, yeah, yeah now I'm in Spain in a, in a very inexpensive lifestyle like Mr. Jim. And I you like the it. cookies. I like the cookie thing. That's, that's when Americans were really, really smart. <laughs> The cookies and yeah, and I made the back the the space between the guard the the space between the coach house and the A frame, which I you know rented out, was beer bottles and broken glass and coal and all sorts of you know, eighty years of poverty. Right, the building itself was suffering from a lack of care because people who owned it or lived there didn't have the money to do it well or right. They just everything was band-aided and duct taped. And so this beautiful little square hidden in the back was just where people threw their beer bottles. So also by putting a guard in there, when people would come in and be like a little scary in the front, but as soon as they'd step on their deck in the back, they would overlook a flower garden and be like, oh, an oasis. I say, I would always say, yeah, 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 come to the back, come to the back. Don't look out your front window. <laughs> uh, there's a sanctuary back here, you know. And and you have lots of food too. Yeah, too much. I'm picking way. I have we. I I just gave away like five or six zucchinis to my neighbor who was making tomate frito, tomato sauce, and she didn't have any zucchinis. And I was like, really fantastic. So I ran. Wait, I'll be right back. And I brought her like five zucchinis, and she was, well, Fred. I said, no, no, no. In in Spanish, no less. I said, this isn't a present. It's something else. And I said, I'm just getting rid of them. I have a hundred zucchinis in my house, you know. Uh, here, please take them. 
So yeah, I have an abundance of food, an abundance of food, mm-hmm. an abundance. And the food here is, what's great about this place is regards to food is like the meat that you buy at the butcher isn't frozen. It's never been frozen. It goes cow, butcher, cut for you in front of you to your home. Yeah. So the quality of the food here is, and there's no, there's no chemicals because they don't, they don't even think about chemicals here. It's almost insulting to think of like, in fact, my neighbor who does point out, there was one guy said, why is his apple tree so good? He goes, he uses poison. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a very deep mindset of just organic doesn't matter here where I'm at. Organic is the way you do it. It's not, it's not even a, it's everything is, or it's not something you talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, that vegetable at the, that the market, you know, is, is just a vegetable, you know, that somebody grew and sold to somebody else who put it in their market and you buy it. It's, it's a very, it's not that many steps away from Mm -hmm. the market or the butcher. It's one step away, the grower, the market, the, Mm -hmm. the the cattle rancher, the market, there's no middlemen really. So yeah, the food here is, is great. And now I'm augmenting it with our own, our own growing. So, so yeah. the tomatoes still suck in the winter. <laughs> I mean, if you want to buy tomatoes in February, they're still going to suck. Like they mm-hmm. they'll suck a little bit less than they might in the city, but they're still at this point. Now you're asking somebody in warm weather to grow. And then it's got to jump a couple of steps to get to you. So they probably picked them while they're green. I don't know what they do, but they still lack that fall flavor of a fresh tomato off the vine. Uh, there you go. Uh, Jaswant. Hey. I don't know your story. I don't know your story. Uh, yeah. Well, Tell I, me your story. How did you get, so you were born in the UK, no? Oh yeah, yeah. I was born in uh, a town called Wolverhampton in, uh, in England and um, Actually, my my father's my father and his brothers they all moved to uh, England way back in the fifties, and my mum's brothers they all moved to Vancouver, and the oldest one uh, they've all passed away now in nineteen thirty nine, and my uh, granddad, my dad's dad, used to say, "Go to Canada, go to Canada," and so. Um, Anyway, my brother got married here in 1980, and then the rest of us came over. It's, it's an old Indian trick. You get one person married. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we, we, we moved over. Your from, brother got married in 1980, and you followed. Yeah. We Did you marry a like, Canadian? Yeah, yeah. So about four or five years later, it was an arranged, well, yeah, it was an arranged marriage. And then we came along in, uh, I came along in 86. And um, so anyway, um, we sold the property in uh, England, in Wolverhampton, and pulled the down payment. And my uncle, who's also passed away, uh, geez, everybody I know is passing away. <laughs> and uh, he sent us the money. He had very money. Because he could have, uh, you know. Uh, anyway, so he sent us the money and we did the down payment and we bought the first house for about 168. No, it might have been closer to 200. I can't remember, but it was way expensive. 
What year? That was uh, 87. 80, 87 and uh, we did it so uh, we got for the mortgage we got one of my uncles to co-sign for us and um and then we also had a vendor take back mortgage those are less common now but in those days they were a little bit more common and uh then uh, we had quite still still had quite a sizable mortgage i was barely making the mortgage payments but i had started in the banking field so, um, you know, you get a line of credit, use some money, and then I got married. And then that means another income, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got married and then we sold that. Yeah, I think we bought it 168. We sold it for 196. And then we bought a, a second house for 172. So made a little bit of money. We could pay off the... Uh, could pay off the, the vendor takeback mortgage, yeah. and uh, we just kept the regular. So that made life a little bit easier. Um, and then, uh, oh yeah, we lived in the basement of that house for a bit, and then then just eventually moved upstairs. And then, uh, and then so my who, who lived upstairs? Um, it was rented out. Ah, so you rented as well? Oh yeah, yeah, always. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, and then they 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 gave notice they were moving, so we moved upstairs and we rented the downstairs. Uh, Vancouver's a pretty um it's very easy to find renters. There, there's just so many people and it's uh, it's uh, probably the most temperate uh, part of Canada. Uh in terms of we don't get heavy freezing snow in the winter. So lots of people like to move here and it's very multicultural. And uh, so then my father uh, found another house and we moved into there and now I'm starting to forget how much that was, but it was a big lot. So it was a 50 foot lot. And so we moved there and it was, it was a nice house, except we used to have cockroaches. Oh, the other advantage of this house was and we had two basements instead of one basement. So the, the rent was way better and, um, you know, makes, makes paying the mortgage easier. And then because it was a big lot and the markets were going crazy, this is like just after Expo 86 in the, in the early 90s, the markets were just, real estate was just going crazy here. And then, uh, we ended up subdividing and selling a strip, a 16 foot strip of land for, a, I think 120,000. So we did that. And um, at that point, that was about what it cost to build a new house. So we did the subdivision, tore the house down, uh, built and the and the builder who bought bought the 16 foot he built two houses so we just sort of piggybacked off of him and just did our own general contracting and this time we we built with the two basements and uh, yeah so it probably cost us in, in the end about 140 as opposed to 120 I was trying to keep the prices low but you know once you start building it just goes. So we were in that house for a little bit, and then uh, 
And then uh, 1995, I, uh, I pretty much turned the keys over to, to my second and third mortgagee because I'd gone into this huge, huge investment, which was, which was no risk and was going to make lots of money. So we basically, we went belly up. We held on to the house for a little bit longer and there was all sorts of, uh, we could fight with the third mortgagee and do this and do that. But, you know, a year later, we just gave him the keys. And then, um, and then my uh, dad went and borrowed 25K from my uncles, uh, actually 10 and 10. So this is after we'd been belly up. So he borrowed it. And, we managed to get into another house for about 250 with 10% down. You put in the 25 and uh, qualify under the CMHC, Canada Mortgage Housing Corporation. And then, um, yeah, so it was, it was an older house. It wasn't a new house or anything. And then uh, as, as things went on, so that was in 98. We were only renting for about two months in the end. And uh, so we moved in 98 and then the way prices were and the cost of construction and the interest rates. And we had one basement in, in, in the new property. So I, being in the banking field, I worked out, tear down the house, we build a new house then then you don't have to worry about all the maintenance that goes on this was an old time so like 50 60 years old and so we did that and i worked out that to build we need so much money it was still only around 160 that you needed to build less than 200 and with the interest rates so low and i uh, managed to work out that you could um you tore down the house you built a new house and had two basements instead of one basement. That second basement would pay the construction cost, you know, the, the mortgage that we were borrowing for the construction cost. And uh, so we did that and um, we lived there for many years, 14, 15 years or so, and, you know, and um, uh, prices, prices kept going up. And uh, so we sold that one and bought a new house, a big lot. My wife always wanted to have a house on a big lot with a door in the middle. And um, so we're, we're now moved into here. And so <laughs> we have two basements and a laneway house. So even though my mortgage is quite, quite uh, well it's larger than I would like um, the the rentals the two basements and the laneway house they basically pay the mortgage and um, so that's um, that's where it's where we are now it's yeah. super when when you can same with the I mean the idea of I want to make sure that you spoke about your your use of renters to pay the mm. mortgage because it's the same as an apartment building. We, in bad times, we had to kick in some money to pay the mortgage, but in good times, the, the, the renters paid our mortgage. Yeah. 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 That's right. So that's so good. That's how we all got here. 
Yeah. Is I'll that just it? Add, just add a little bit. In, after that house in Ryandale, we worked up north. Mary was a nurse, and we saved $20,000. Wow. But what is up land. north for, for our listeners who don't know what up north means? Up north means on the Hudson's Bay, uh, Great Well River, Posta Balen. It's on the tree line. Up, uh, uh, and uh, Mary was a nurse in charge. Um, and so we, were a, we, we lived at the facility. I worked for Little Airlines. We saved because I'd been working up north before saving money. And um, so then we went back, came back, and um, almost went to Claymont, where we would have maybe bumped into Freddie. Who knows? <laughs> no. Who knows? Fourth, fourth degree school, and came back here, bought this piece of land, and then had a sawmill in, built a house. Then I bought a piece of land across the road, had a sawmill in, built a house, built a shop, sawmill in, built a shop. And now here I sit. <laughs> 70, I recommend so to I, our listeners go to visit Jim and look at the kingdom he has built. A natural kingdom. Yeah. Big garden and fun. It's been fun. It's been a build. Building is what I've done. I've built bands, I built houses, I built families. Build building is kind of how I got here. So that's uh, it's slower. It's slower, but it's easier. Okay, so that's, I just thought I'd take you to now. Yeah, I, I think it might be a good time to wrap up.